Please be seated. Good afternoon, everyone. Let's be opening up our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Is it not amazing that the cross and the message of the cross can change our lives today? You know, uh, to put ourselves, uh, I thank you for sort of letting us uh, participate a little bit in the life of, of uh, Joseph there. And uh, it's so interesting to sort of think about a real individual somehow, you know, in the, in the crowd right there, hearing everything, seeing everything, and responding to it. And, you know, I think uh, communion, uh, we sort of do it as a biblical pattern once every, uh, once every week on Sunday. But uh, truly it's something, the, the actual idea of it is something that we should be trying to do as much as we can. Sort of on a, on a daily time, getting some time with God, but also just really teaching ourselves by listening to God how to see Him in every event of our life. You know, so that we can see His hand. But the cross is, is undeniable. God could have chosen other ways for His Son to be crucified, but, it, but He chose a method of execution which was basically torture to death. Because God wants us to understand that in the forgiving of us, there's a pain involved for Him. For God to deny His righteous side, His justice side, and to trump that, it's all happening inside of God without us, He trumped justice with His mercy. And that's what the cross demonstrates, how much He loves us. And it really does change who we, who we can imagine God to be. Uh, you know, Dave Eastman was talking about just how amazing it is to think about God's power, that He knows everything about us, uh, you know, which actually puts Him in a much better position than us. Uh, you know, we're learning about ourselves all the time. Even as we pray to God about ourselves, we're actually talking to someone who knows us way better than we know ourselves. And so we learn even about ourselves as we communicate with God. I want to talk a little bit today about um, sort of what's happening simply in our hearts. How to keep our lives simple. I don't know about you, but life to me seems to be complicated often. Did anyone feel like life gets complicated really easy? And, uh, you know, you know, emotions, um, you know, listening, I've been listening to David Bruce's stuff, which, you know, David spoke to us a few weeks ago, and all that's on our website now, and I really want to encourage you to, you know, pick up on that. But, you know, there's just this whole idea of being, uh, calming ourselves down a little bit. He actually, one of his lessons was called the gift of boredom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, not the gift of boring, some of us, you know, that, that may be some, something some of us worry about. Uh, but the gift of boredom, which is actually a gift because the opposite of boredom uh, is actually being active, engaged, but there's actually, you can be so active and engaged, you never have time to reflect. And so that was the point of his lesson, that actually boredom's a good moment, because in the moment of boredom, you start to ask yourself a question. And, uh, you know, we, we don't like being bored in our society at all, do we? I mean, movie theaters are doing, doing pretty well, right? The, the whole entertainment industry is doing pretty good right now. You know, why is that? Because we don't like being bored. But also, sadly, what, what we've been trained to do is expect someone else to entertain us, rather than to reflect and have our own 
conviction. And that's a little bit, it it ties in a little bit with my thoughts today. There's a difference between being convinced about something and being convicted. You know, we can watch a news report about poverty and and often, conveniently, these news reports are, are far away, but, off, but sometimes they're not far away. Sometimes it's somewhere right nearby. In other words, there's something we could do to alleviate someone's suffering. And we can actually know that, and we can say, well, that's true. You, know, you can ask yourself, is that report factual? Do I believe it? And the answer is yes. But believing that that report is true really doesn't make any difference unless you decide to do something about it, Right? A lot of people say they believe in God. A lot of people say they believe God exists. They even say they believe that God is loving. But if there's no response to God, relationships are always two ways. It's true, you know, when the little baby uh, when is born, most of the love, or at least the intentional love, is coming from mom and dad towards the baby, right? How much love does the baby give back? But the fact is just one little moment of, of affection, you know, one little smile, one little positive thing, and the parent just beams. Oh, wow, look at that. They're loving me back. You know, I think God has exactly the same response to us. That God loves a two-way relationship. He gave us the cross so that we could respond with everything we have to Him. As the love that He showed us actually works through us and we return it to Him. We love Him and we love others because how have He, how He loved us. Let's look at this story over in Luke 24 and it really sets the tone. And I'll, I'll keep my eye on the clock here, not to go too long, but uh, we can, the, the, there's an idea here. It's pretty simple and I'll try to keep it simple as we go through. That's part of the idea of the sermon as well. But the the idea is this, we can know something, but what do we believe? And sometimes we believe things, but they're complex, they're hard to operate on. We're we're with mixed emotions, and so it's hard to make a decision. But I really want us to see that God actually wants to simplify our lives. He doesn't want us to be in confusion. He wants us to see things clearly, so that we can respond to Him clearly. So look in Luke 24, we'll pick this up in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village. Now, that same day, it's the day of the resurrection. So two of them are going to a village, two disciples, called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So you imagine that. These, these two disciples who've just witnessed everything that's happened in Jerusalem that weekend, they're walking along, they're reflecting, and suddenly a third guy comes up and it's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. Now we know that Jesus was with them anyways, in spirit, so to speak, but they didn't know that. They, they, they weren't aware. And so they, they, they couldn't recognize him. And, and it says that Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? That's not the first time he asked his disciples that question. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You know, it's the day of the resurrection. Two disciples are deep in conversation about everything that's happened. Jesus appears. They knew the story. For many parts of the story of Jesus, they were even eyewitnesses. And uh, it says, it's interesting, I was just kind of looking at the, these two names. One of them's name is Cleopas. And if you look back in John, it says the four women who were at the cross, one of them was Mary, the wife of Clopas. Well, Clopas is an Aramaic name and Cleopas is a, is a Greek name, but it's possible even it's the same person. Some scholars think it's just how the, the, the Greek writer chose to represent this Aramaic name. But what's interesting is, it was the wife of Cleopas who was there witnessing the very crucifixion of Jesus. And he says here, some of our women were there. They, they actually saw these things firsthand. You know, it said it's the third day. Well, if they'd been following Jesus, they knew there's something special about the third day. They didn't understand it during his ministry, but he kept telling them, I'm going to die and on the third day be raised. So it's like, there's all this anticipation There's all this excitement, but it's interesting. It says, we had hoped that he was the one. See, what's interesting is they'd already made up their minds that it didn't happen. They'd been given every opportunity for faith in and of itself, even the fulfillment of prophecies. Jesus had predicted his death. Those that followed him knew, but they chose not to believe even though they had all the information in their minds. And Luke writes that their faces were downcast. So they had hoped their faces were downcast. Well, there's a happy ending to this story. Read a little further, verse 25. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now I'm amazed that they didn't just recognize Jesus right there. Because if you were a follower of Jesus, you'd heard a few challenges like that before about your faith. Don't you believe? Didn't you hear what I just said? Why are you doubting? And anyways, it said, he, Jesus, uh, Jesus goes on to say, Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning Himself. Now it's interesting, that didn't take three days. It says he he explained everything that was said in all the scriptures. That's a pretty thorough but intense study. Probably a couple of hours. Everything. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further, like like heaven. Uh, But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know, what's it mean that their hearts were burning? Does your heart ever burn? Do you ever know there's something that you should be doing, something you should be acting on, something you should be believing? You kind of know it's there, it's close, but you don't react. And inside there's this kind of feeling like, this is uncomfortable. I know there's something I should be doing, but they felt this burning inside. This is all vaguely familiar. Who is this man? It's interesting, they didn't ask him who he was. And here he is, they're, they're the ones talking, and they were followers of Jesus. They know the disciples. They know the women who witnessed the death. They know the women who went to the to tomb. They know all this. And yet they're doubting in their hearts. And it says in verse 33, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen as appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know, Jesus opened up the scriptures to them and they believed. And they finally saw what Jesus wanted them to see. The truth is simple. Believing is simple. But at the same time, like many simple things, it can also be difficult. Simple and easy aren't always the same thing. Sometimes we know a simple truth. We have a simple conviction. But actually living it out is difficult. It's challenging. But the truth itself is simple. What I want us to do for the rest of this lesson is simply look at some stories of people with Jesus and ask ourselves, what is the simple truth? And let's take away from this the simple truth. Now, the rest of the sermon is some some passages from Luke, and so that's where we'll be. But the other scriptures are right there on your note sheet, so we'll just stay there. It'll help things move a little quicker. So look in Luke chapter 7. Let's just read some stories. And what's why I chose these particular stories is there's at least two different characters in each story who could be reacting similarly to Jesus. But because of what's in their hearts, not necessarily even what's in their minds, because they might have agreed in their minds about the truth of the circumstance, but it's what's in their heart that makes the difference. And Jesus said to these guys, you're slow of heart to believe what is written. If we would just embrace the scriptures and look at this, the single, we have a number of one-liners, so to speak, of scriptures. If we can just take those scriptures this week and believe them, it will make life a lot simpler. It will actually help us in our day-to-day walk with God. Look in Luke 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had been invite, had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, 
that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, this could have been a memorable meal for Simon for other reasons. Simon could have been saying to Jesus, Jesus, tell me the truth of the things that are in my life I need to change. How does your message relate to me? But instead, Simon's got Jesus there thinking, I'm not even sure about this Jesus guy. And look, there's a sinful woman. I mean, if there was a mirror in the room, Simon would just look in the mirror and see an equally sinful man. But he saw this woman and he'd already made a judgment. She's sinful, I'm not. And Jesus is a teacher, but how good is he? He wanted a little demonstration of prophetic ability. Jesus knew exactly what was in his heart. But see, this woman came into Jesus' presence. You know, did the, did the woman actually say anything? Don't think so. She just served Jesus. She just came in and demonstrated her love. Here's our simple verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know, you want to simplify your life? Stop trying to measure what's right and wrong, good and bad, all this, and just love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. Just give yourself to God. How do you feel, how do you think the sinful woman felt after this? You know, I think Simon was a little insulted. You know, what's going on here? We don't know the the answer. We don't hear about this guy again. But Simon's a Pharisee and he's self-righteous. But the woman came and simply showed her love and appreciation for God. Love God with all all your heart. Well, that's maybe the longest story we'll look at. Let's look at another one over in Luke 8. Again, two people. And we touched on this one a little bit. Sorry, Luke, yeah, Luke 8, verse 42. Luke 8, 42. It says, As Jesus was on His way, the crowds almost crushed Him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Him and touched the edge of His cloak... And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. 
Now it's interesting. It says that the crowd was pressing on him. It's actually almost crushing him. And he goes, who touched me? It must have been intense. You know, I'm, I'm a counterattacker. If someone accuses me, the first thought in my heart is, wait a minute. That's not right. You know, it's, it's just going to cut. You know, that's, that's where it's in my heart. You know, these, these people are all crowding around Jesus. Who touched me? And it says everyone denied it. But I can also imagine everybody stepped back, right? Like I didn't. You know, the people closest are like, hey, back up everybody. You know, no one's touching you. You know, you're, you're kind of trying to make it all right. Exactly. But this woman, look what happens. It says, The woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, the crowd was pressing. But they weren't really getting, they got nothing out of Jesus, interestingly. They're almost crushing Him. They're touching Him. But nothing's happening in their lives. And this woman basically sneaks up behind Him. She doesn't actually push on Him in any way that He should have noticed. She simply touched His cloak. Now I like what goes on in Mark. In Mark, when it tells this story, uh, then it goes on a, a chapter later to say, people were now trying to touch His cloak to be healed. She actually set up a new way of getting healed. Before this, we don't know of anyone who just touched his cloak and got healed. She did this and then everybody else heard it worked and they were trying to do it. You don't have to touch me, just let me touch your cloak. It became a new method. But see, it was her faith. She trusted so much that God would do the right thing. And it's interesting, look over in 1 John 5. Because we need to trust that God will do what's best. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. It's on on your note page. It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have uh, what we've asked of Him. Basically, when you pray according to God's will, you get it. Now you might say, why should I pray? Because there's some things we don't get because we don't ask. God's got a will that's got some variables in it. One of the variables is, are we willing to ask? James chapter 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. God would give if you just ask. You know, the message of the cross that's been given through Jesus, we don't have to ask for that. God is making that, that known to us. But there's other things in our relationship where we need to ask God. But we also need to know that God's answer isn't always yes. Have you noticed that? Is God free to answer no? Anyone ever got a no answer to a prayer? Okay. You know, you get no's too. How about maybe later? You know, not now, maybe later. You know, it's, it's interesting. How many got a yes? See, but the thing is, no matter what the answer do, we trust that God is listening. And when we ask according to His will, He will give us what we've asked for. It's actually one of the ways to find out God's will in specific details in your life. Ask Him. Pray about it. Lay it before Him. And trust that He's answering. 
You know, we could have looked over in James as well. Don't be a double-minded man. You've got to believe that God will hear you and answer that prayer. Let's look at another story over in Luke chapter 10. Again, we have two people in the presence of Jesus. Luke 10, 38. It says, As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and asked, Lord, don't You care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. You know, Martha was worried about a lot of things. Mary was just concerned about one thing. Jesus is at our house. Jesus is here. So Mary's like, I'm not going to run around and worry about all those small details. I've seen Jesus in action. If he's hungry, he can make some stuff. There's some crumbs here on the table. Jesus can make a loaf. Jesus can feed us. Like, Martha, Martha, what are you so worried about? She's busy dusting everything. She's busy taking care of everything. Jesus is here. But she's missing the whole point. Jesus is here. Sometimes we're so busy running around because Jesus is here, we forget Jesus is here. And we're just running here, there, doing this. Why? Because Jesus is here. But He's here. Calm down. Stop worrying about everything. He's here, okay? Mary chose what is best. You know, it says in John 15, 14 to 15, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You know, we need to value relationship with God above everything else. You know, Hugh has a point, a valid point. The cross was given to us to motivate us, to help change us, to to give us a reason to believe in the goodness of God and in His forgiveness. It's a demonstration. It's a sacrifice. It's amazing. But we have to also understand, sometimes we get caught up in details that don't focus in on the relationship with God. We need to value this relationship above all things. You know, the power to overcome sin in our lives isn't self-discipline. It's the Spirit of God in us, which can help us with our self-discipline. It's God in us. It's Jesus is here. And that knowledge can change us. It helps us. You know, I had a good challenge. Uh, Many of you know Doug Arthur. But it was, this is like 25 years ago, actually even more, almost 30 years ago. Wow, okay, it was a while ago. <laughs> but I was one of those young Christians kind of running around trying to do everything to make everybody happy, etc. And and, but I wasn't very open about my life. And he said this one sentence to me. 
And I, I just like rang so true. He said, stop trying to be so valuable and be a little more vulnerable. I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that, you know, it stuck with me. 28 years later, I still remember it. But see, the point is, and what, and what he's saying is, if you, we try to, in relationships some, sometimes, be valuable to others. I've got something I can give you. I've got something to offer you. And we want to be appreciated. But actually, if you really want to get close to people, being vulnerable is what helps. Being really open about your life. And see, that is the truth. And it's great. We've got gifts. We've got abilities. We've got opportunities. But we've got to know each other. And be vulnerable about what's really going on in our lives. You know, go to our next little story, Luke 17. We are whipping through fairly quickly. Luke 17. Again, people in the same situation, but absolutely different reactions. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You know, it's interesting, they were lepers, they were outcasts. But some, one of them we're going to find out is a Samaritan. Nine of them are Jews. But they're living on the border between Samaria and, and, and Judah. What's interesting is, they're outcasts living on the edge of their own country. So, but they were lepers together. So these ten lepers were together. I don't know how happy of a fellowship that was. But they were together. And what's interesting... They saw Jesus and they called out in a loud voice. They did together. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So they made the kind of group request. Help us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then He said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now as far as we know, the other nine didn't lose their healing. They still got to go to the priest and show themselves. And it's interesting, I was kind of thinking about this. Why, why didn't they come back? You know, one of the reasons they could have said to themselves, well, we should go back and say thanks to that Jesus guy, but you know what? He told us to go show ourselves to the priest. Now, it's interesting how we can use the rules to our own advantage. You know, so, they, so for some, can you imagine you were healed of leprosy and you wouldn't go back and thank the person that healed you? And wouldn't it be a little convicting that the Samaritan puts up his hand? This is the unaccepted non-Jew. He puts up his hand and goes, Hey guys, you know what? Before I go to the priest, I'm just going to go back to the Jesus guy. I mean, look what he did for me. His gratefulness just overflowed and Jesus blessed him. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it just says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are we truly thankful in every circumstance? How do you feel when, when you're in difficult times? I mean, do you just naturally respond with joy? Man, I'm going through the most difficult time in my Christian life. Hallelujah! 
That, that's not what's going on in my heart. I don't like difficulty. I, I don't like things. I don't like, you know, when relationships are failing, when, when people aren't happy with me. I don't like those moments. Those don't, oh, this is great. Persecution for Jesus' sake. You know, that, that doesn't fire me up. You know, it, it's not exciting. You know, when you're, when you're we're sick, have you ever said to yourself, boy, God, just help me get better. And when I'm better, I'll just never forget, you know, how ill I felt that day. Have, have you just ever had that thought? I, I'm going to be so grateful the moment I'm better again. And guess what? You get better. And then it's usually like, you know, you're grateful for a day or two. And then about a week later, you have sort of this memory. You know, I remember converting this Tanzanian student who was studying in Kiev. This is back in the 80s. And he had to leave us. We were in Stockholm. He had to go back to... He was on a summer break. He went back. And he had a... He was lame in one leg and he had to limp. And, uh, you know, there was no way at the time in 88... It was very difficult to maintain any kind of contact with somebody in the Soviet Union. Someone would obviously read your letters... You know, they were doing all this kind of extra protective things. Security was really high. KGB was powerful. And um, all that aside, though, we basically lost contact. And I said in my heart, the same with Francis, I'm going to pray for Francis every day. But, you know, I got to the time where I wasn't even thinking about Francis. It was, it was a few months later. And the funniest thing was I broke my ankle. And I was in the shower and I was looking at my ankle that was all messed up. And I suddenly I, I thought, Francis. And I thought, I haven't prayed for Francis in a while. And I'm going like, is, is that why this happened? <laughs> you know, you know but, but you have to ask yourself, God, it says through the scriptures, God is teaching us through our difficulties. Do we really believe that? God wants to deepen our faith how can we have joy when there's not joyful circumstance around us because there's joy in our heart in Jesus Christ? How can we have peace if there's no peace around us because we have peace in Jesus Christ? How can we be grateful, you know, if things aren't the way we want them to be? I love Philippians chapter 4. It says, make your prayers and requests known to God with all gratitude. In other words, as you pray, already say thank you. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer. And, and, and it's not only, I'll say thank you if you give me what I ask for. Thank you for answering my prayer. Going back to a previous point. God will give us what we need. God will take care of us. And God knows what's best for us. You know, finally, the two people I want to look at last are the two thieves on the cross with Jesus. Luke 23. And talk about the last moment of your life. If you get nailed on a, cry, uh, on a cross, you're going to die. You, you know, Jesus is the only person that ever walked around showing anyone his wounds from the cross that we know of. Everyone else that was ever put on a cross didn't get taken down until they were dead. And of course, Jesus died, but he rose from the dead. Well, look at the attitude of these two thieves, okay? Luke 23, and we'll pick this up in verse 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. 
When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, can you imagine being crucified alongside of Jesus? And I doubt that the other criminals were thinking, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. For the guy in the middle to say, and you know who this man is. Jesus was known throughout Judea, throughout Jerusalem. They knew who he was. But they're just, they're just witnessing this amazing love. And it's interesting, it says the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're a king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Can you believe that? His dying breath. And what's he doing? He's hurling insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Boy, talk about a mockery. I mean, yeah, save yourself. And if you really can, take us with you too, okay? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That's crazy. One of these thieves were mocking Jesus, but the other one realized who Jesus was. I mean, talk about the last moment. And he just said to Jesus, he goes, please, after rebuking his friend, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed. Spoke out of faith. And imagine these words, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm sure that he was just like relaxing already. Like, okay. This is painful, but I can make it through this. Jesus has promised me eternal life. You know, do we see our forgiveness as a gift? Because that's the only way to see it. It can't be earned. We, we don't deserve it. It's a free gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, we've looked at these five stories, but I just want us to think about these simple points. Simplify your life. Put these into practice this week, and we will all have better weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You are my friends if, I do, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Give thanks in all circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, these are simple statements, but I believe if we just believe them, build our lives around them, we will see the blessings of the presence of God in us. I want to conclude with Romans chapter 12.
Romans 12, 1-2. This is a two-way relationship. God expects us to imitate Him in our love. And it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, back in the, that first story, those two disciples had not been renewed in their minds. They'd not had, they hadn't accepted the truth of the story they knew, of the teaching of Jesus. If they'd have had faith in that moment, they would have been excited. Heart, they wouldn't have been downcast. They wouldn't have said, we'd have hoped He was the one. They would have had a confidence. You know, we also have not seen in the flesh the risen Jesus. But it's that faith in His sacrifice that changes our lives. It's that faith that God loves us that much that He would send His only Son to die for us. That is life-changing truth. Let's simply pray to God for the faith to believe it. Let's just pray together as the worship team comes up and takes its place. And Justin, can you go get the slides? Good, thanks. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we are so grateful for your many rich blessings. And Father, thank you for the story that we have in the Gospels. So that we can walk along with people, Father. That we can really get a sense of what it was to be in the very physical presence of Jesus. And Father, we know that we live in the, in the fulfillment of time. That the church is your plan for all people. That to have spirit-filled lives is your goal for every person on this planet. And Father, thank you that Jesus is with us. And Father, I pray that it is not simply just a matter of a few moments during, during the week that we have at communion. But I pray that communion sets a tone for us for our lives. That we really see it as a time of reflection That every quiet time we have, every moment we take to reflect, it's like a breaking of bread again and a drinking of the cup, just without them. That we're doing it in our hearts, Father. We're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for what we know of of you through the Scripture. Thank you that we know that you are the maker and, and you have created each one of us and that you love each one of us in a very special way. And that, Father, you provided everything that we need for life and godliness. I pray, Father, we can live the richness of this life that you intended. Father, thank you for the material blessings we have. I thank you for the health that we have. But Father, we know that those things come and go. And we know even after the memorial last night about Francis, we know that even life itself here on this earth has a terminating point. But Father, we know through the resurrection of Jesus that we can be with you forever. We know that we can see Francis yet again. And Father, this is our hope and this is our joy that we can be together with you and with each other forever. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. Help us to leave this place with you in our hearts. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.